all of us were detuning at that point. The difference was the introduction of the seven string, which I called the mud tone. It basically said that Van Halen and Randy Rhodes were dead, that the idea of that top end bright aggressive thing was over and it was the introduction to this Ross Robinson production technique no top end all about the low end all about the bump the way the low end hits you know uh, it, it moves something else in the in your gut that straight metal doesn't really have the ability to do Everybody, welcome to episode 238 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. I am your host in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P. And sitting right across from me, are you ready? <laughs> I was going to do the old Jonathan Davis, that fucking thing. But, are you ready? But I'm assuming we have like a whole hour and a half to talk. I'm we'll trying to ruin do, my we'll voice. We'll do it every time. Yeah. Every five seconds, we'll just, random, we'll just randomly yell something. <laughs> No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, man. Break your fucking face tonight. But anyway, sitting right across from me is the Brown Recluse, Mr. Artro. Art, say, welcome back, by the way. Thank the, you. The mighty return of the Brown Recluse, Mr. Artro. Art, say hello to the millions. And millions. What the fuck is going on, America? Uh, guys, uh, missed last week's episode. Jesus is here. I should have cleaned this microphone off, make sure there's no fucking COVID, some Delta variant on there. <laughs> don't worry. I got but, that shit uh, Lysol. You're fine. <laughs> But uh, shout out to Jesus. Thank you for filling in. Uh, guys, go to kbancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory of the coffee beans, the hibiscus tea, the whole shabazz. Christmas time is coming up. It's time to get the gifts. Get started now because you're going to be in a world of hurt if you're there. If, if, it's, if it's already like December 15th and you haven't gotten your gifts, I don't even get my family that many gifts except for my niece and nephew because if you're an adult, you don't deserve gifts. That's weird. That's brunch. That's that's Friendsgiving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Check out the Patreon for those jokes. Um, but um, yeah. Anyways, go to CapemanCoffee.com. Check it all out. It's just one of those small token kind of gifts if you just want to get you know brother, sister, brother-in-law, sister-in-law a gift and don't want to spend too much money. Go to Caveman Coffee. Use promo code America at checkout to receive 15% off. Tell them to take a picture of themselves drinking the coffee, drinking the hibiscus tree, wearing the pants, wearing the hat, um, and tag us, tag uh, 
Caveman Coffee. It shows that you care. It shows that you listen to the podcast, and we appreciate it, and they appreciate it. And speaking of sponsors, guys, and great places to buy Christmas presents, guys, go ahead and check out SuperApparel.com, where the great and powerful Nicole Smith-Bosch has put together an amazing assortment of clothing for your wearing pleasure. So go yeah. ahead and go to Sucre Apparel. Uh, go ahead. Speaking of Jesus, go to uh, JFwint33. Uh, he, I believe, is an official model. Is he really? I'm wearing my... Uh, I, think I'm, no, I think I'm just wearing a black shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had a Sucre Apparel shirt. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. But if you want to see somebody model those things, head on to our buddy Jesus' website. Uh, check out all the great apparel modeled in real time by a great sexually seductive young man named Jesus Fuentes. Uh, but check out her store. Uh, she designs everything herself, so shout out to her. Every time you say the great and powerful Nicole Smith-Bosch, have you seen that meme of the of the wizard pondering the orb? Yeah. Like, just put her pick, her face right there on the on, on the on the wizard's face and then, like, the sucre apparel on the orb, and that's okay. it. That's, that, that's what I imagine when you say great and powerful. Okay, I'm probably going to have to upgrade my fucking software <laughs> to do that because I'm not that handy with it. But anyways, uh, check out her store. Buy something that you like. Buy something that your friends might like. Buy something your family might like because, like Art said, Christmas is coming, and she has distributors all over this great United States, so it will get to you in just enough time for Christmas. So when you find something you like, enter promo code Art and Jacob, and Nicole will give you 10% off your entire purchase. But Art, we are not here to talk about Christmas gifts or caveman coffee or the great and powerful wizard, Nicole Smith-Bosch. Art, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about a uh, musical genre that I think is near and dear to both of our hearts. I um I was gonna wear my uh po- my pony track track jacket, which I I think I lost it. I don't know. I think uh. I might have donated it to Goodwill or something. It's gone. I hadn't worn it in years. And then I was gonna wear my corn shirt, and so I took a bunch of corn shirts. And then there was only one of them was a large. All the other ones were mediums. Apparently, I was thin in high school. Oh wow. Um. And then I forgot to wear it, so ah. that sucked. Um, anyways, guys, we're talking about new metal today. We did a butt rock episode, and uh, we, we hated on butt rock a lot, um, but this is kind of the, the same vibe, but about a musical genre that I think we enjoy a little more. Before we actually get into the episode, I want to ask you why you wanted to do this episode, because usually you you pick the topics, and usually it's like the murder of... St. LaCroix or fucking, you know, some <laughs> alien autopsy of Alex yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremiah Jones. And so I was like, when you hit me up with this topic, I was like, oh, that that's left field. And I mean, I'm glad you did because it, this is a genre that either you love or hate or both. As I'll get into, you know, later on in the episode. Uh, but I thought I thought it was odd that you would choose this topic. So I guess to start the conversation, why did you choose this topic this week? For a few reasons. One, I didn't feel like it took up a lot of time uh, study-wise. <laughs> I was like, well, we're not going to like break on Thanksgiving to like study like the disappearance of uh, Nicole Smith Bosch. <laughs> like, no, we're not, I was like, nah, that's not going to happen. So like, let's just do something that I think we both generally have an idea of and both generally have opinions of. And not only that, but I just, I love music. I love talking music. I like the history of music. I like how music evolves in general. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've, I love seeing the trends and the falls of things. I think that, I think it's fun because I think it correlates with other things that are happening in like pop culture and government and worldwide culture. Um, and I think that 
new metal was special. And I'm surprised we did butt rock first, but anyways, mm. don't remember how that came out. But uh, but it was a fun episode, mm. and so I was like, well, let's do that, but with new metal and um, have a good time with it because I think it's it's definitely the musical genre that got me into metal. So it was a it was a special one for me. Same same here. And um, um, one of our first episodes, probably episode two or three uh-huh. you know and then we later on when eric was a part of the show we kind of revisited you know the metal years if you will yeah uh, to talk about this but yes i mean this is kind of our gateway into the genre of heavy metal or even rock in general i would say because i grew up pretty much listening to like a lot of soul and r&b like on my mom's side yeah she had like you know van halen and led zeppelin in the background as well uh, but for the most part like that's what i came up on you know when i was in the car with my mom and then, like, with my dad, it was, like, a lot of, like, 1950s music, a lot of 1960s, like, Jefferson Airplane, The Doors kind of stuff. Some really good stuff. Uh, but as far as, like, you know, metal or heavier music, like, my only exposure to that was, like, when my uncle lived with us. And, you know, he was really big. Like, I mean, he was stereotypical fucking, like, 80s metal guy. Like, he had, like, a permed mullet. He drove an 82 <laughs> fucking black Camaro that fucking... You know, he would bump like White Snake and fucking Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses. And then, you know, when he lived with us, like MTV was always on. And my dad always had an MTV on as well because he kind of like did like us. He nerded out on music, even though he hated on it, like he would still watch it. You know, mm-hmm. so like Madonna would be on and shit. But, you know, I, my exposure to heavy metal was basically my uncle, like listening to like all those like 80s bands. And the only thing that really stuck was like, you know, Metallica and Pantera and Slayer and things like that. But those always kind of felt like, even though Metallica is my all-time favorite band and, you know, Slayer and Pantera, like, those are still bands that are near and dear to my heart that I love absolutely to death. But, like, those didn't feel like my bands. Those felt like a generation ago's bands. It wasn't until, you know, Korn came out and this whole new wave of American heavy metal that, that it felt like, oh, shit, like, this, these were my bands. Like, new metal, these new metal bands that we're going to talk about, like, this felt like this, this belonged to me. Like those other bands, Metallica still feels like it's like a generation ago's band. Even though it's my favorite band, it didn't feel like mine. But Corn, they were from my same city. They were from my same area code. Like and they went to the same high school as me. So it's just like that felt like this this genre belonged to me. Yeah, definitely. I think similar, same boat kinda. Um I wasn't really that into rock music. I mean, I was aware of things in rock music. Like I knew Nirvana, I knew Soundgarden mm-hmm. and like whatever MTB would play. But that was pretty much my exposure to like rock and metal, like whatever Metallica. What, I don't know, whatever. Maybe Metallica got airplay, but wasn't getting that much airplay Mm-mm. until like the Black Album. Um, but I was, I knew about Nirvana, I knew about Soundgarden because like grunge was popular in the nineties, and so um, and that was what MTV was playing. So that's what I knew. And um, but I was mostly like my heart was not in rock. It was it was Dr. Dre, it was Snoop Dogg, it was Ice Cube. Like that was what felt relevant to me like growing up in the fucking hood in bakersfield california correct because we're both from east bakersfield um the street that your mom lives on now that you know you lived at for a while uh, i grew up on the street just below that so it's very much like in the loma it's like in this like mexican hood or whatever and you know i've talked about like yeah i saw people get like shot you know i've i've been shot i've been stabbed i grew up like in these 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 gang infested neighborhoods so like when nwa was rev nwa was relevant and doing their thing when dr dre released the chronic when snoop dogg released doggy style like when gangster rap was like on top of the world 
it just felt like the six o'clock news because they were talking about shit like I can relate to. I couldn't relate to girls, girls, girls. Cause I mean, for one, I was eight. I couldn't get into strip clubs and shit. Yeah. I couldn't really relate to grunge. I wasn't, hadn't <laughs> battled about <laughs> of depression yet. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't really relate to that, but I could relate to gangster rap, which when you get into like new metal and their influences, a lot of that sound was prevalent as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I remember having friends in like elementary school that liked some rock music, but like every time I would turn on like rock radio here in Bakersfield, and maybe it was just a Bakersfield thing. Sorry, mm-hmm. I think I got a burp. There it goes. Uh, much better. <laughs> like a sneeze. Um, no, it was it was a, it was a burp, but I held it down. Anyways, um, um, one of the things so I'm drinking a Lacroix. I probably shouldn't have done that. I should have just drink water. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um. Like, if you turned on, like, radio at, at that mm-hmm. time period, like, rock radio was either, like, Nirvana, Grunge, but, like, they were starting to lose their, like, you know, Kurt Cobain had committed suicide, and, like, everybody was in a panic of, like, what's new, what's the next thing, because all of these bands were just kind of, like, staying stagnant. Like, it was Smashing Pumpkins and all these bands that were really popular in the early 90s. By the mid-90s, you know, there was like the what's new era and like there didn't really seem to be like anything that interesting. It was like blind melon and like the goo goo dolls and like just random like things that would just pop up. It was like, yeah, it was grunge light. Like it was just not, not that interesting. The edges were being sanded down. Yeah. It was like, uh, it, it almost seemed like everybody was pointing at the finger, like who's going to do the next cool thing. And like, Mm -hmm. And no one really had an answer for it. There was no like Kurt Cobain's dead. The, the the guy, the face of this of the franchise, just killed himself. Yeah. And it's a, and it was and everybody was left at it like uh oh well who's gonna pick up the mantle and take it over, and like, and that's one of those things that that is important because charismatic front men and charismatic front women do matter. Like they do matter because like. As much as I love Chris Cornell, and I think Chris Cornell is probably a better like songwriter than than people give him credit to, and his mm-hmm. voice is amazing. He wasn't Kurt Cobain. Like Kurt Cobain was like a one in a million type mm-hmm. of type of guy. Like he was a good looking, like great guitar player, great singer, like the poster kit, like literally the dude that you would want as like leading a movement. Like his voice and like the things he was saying, his like his politics were like really important. It was the anti like girls, girls, girls era, like dude at a strip club doing cocaine type of thing. Like he was the dude that was like dressing in like women's clothes and like being very like open about like being a feminist and like supporting like the the riot girl movement and like being very like woke to things that are like now like thirty years later like more commonplace. Mm-hmm. But um but 30 years ago, it was like, whoa, this dude is super, like, groundbreaking and revolutionary. Not only that, but, like, talking about things that, you know, hit you hit you in the heart, you know, kind of thing. Like, speaks to your soul. Like, I, that MTV Unplugged, like, when he's talking about my girl, my girl, and that end of that song where he's just, like, he's not the best singer, but, like, there's so much soul behind that voice. Like, you can pick, that's not even his song, uh-huh. but you can picture, like, oh, wow, he must be talking about, like, Courtney Love, like, some shit that she was doing to him, like, some argument that they were having or whatever, but, like, that pain that was in his voice, like, it's so real. It's like a Janis Joplin kind of thing. Like, not the best, again, not the best singer, but, like, you can feel that pain, and I think that's, like, a big part of, like, what we're going to be talking about as well. The early 
when we talk about yeah, maybe yeah. some of the earlier bands, like just like that relatable pain, like everybody's gone through some shit, you know, like yeah, whether, yeah, yeah. whether it be like you get dumped by a girl or fucking like you have something cataclysmic happen, like a nine eleven or something like that. Like everybody can relate, relate to pain. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that led into, to new metal. Cause it, it happens overnight, but there were little symptoms of it coming. I, I disagree. Like every, I mean, I know we're going to go back, you know, and talk about the lead up to new metal, but a lot of like podcasts and documentaries that I was listening to that were talking about, they're like this overnight sensation that came and went. And I was like, no, like it was there. It's just that people oh, just started listening. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, the thing, see, here's the thing that I feel. I, I think that there were, they were new metal ish bands that were mm-hmm. happening. I think like, if you look at Faith No More was obviously like very like Probably the dudes rapping that it's a metal band of like they funk. were it was very funk based um it, it, like there was like that alt metal thing that was going on around the time period and we're I, talking about like the early to mid 80s right here yeah so i mean there were there was some like if you look at like Rollins band like Rollins band had a lot of things that would fall under new metal but he wasn't new metal Mm-mm. if you look at i know that that documentary you posted they talk about Pantera it's like more of a groove metal kind of band mm-hmm. it's like i get it but it's not new metal like n- none of that was new metal but that sort of thing even like Metallica when they do the black album they go away from being a thrash metal band to being more like kind of what Pantera was doing like it was more groove based it was more like focused on songwriting than than like trying to be fast and trying to be aggressive and i think that that was kind of the movement that was happening in music mm-hmm. in general where it was like well we can be heavy but let's try to be like let's try to like base a little more let's get a little more groove into the music and that mm-hmm. seemed to be the consensus of of the time and that time period we're talking about, like I said, is like early to mid 80s. I mean, again, you got like the Chili Peppers, but at concurrently, you also have Beastie Boys, Run DMC, uh, you know, Suicidal Tendencies, Faith No More, which is like on the list of everybody's inspiration. Like when you talk about like the Godfathers of uh, New Metal. Uh, but then you also have this whole generation, you have all of this happening, right? Uh, but then you have this thing called MTV that comes out that just says, hey, from. 12 a.m. to fucking, you know, 11.30 p.m. Like, we're just going to have 24-hour, just nonstop, just hit you with over the head with just like a random playlist of music. And before this, this time period, you're talking about music was very segregated. It was very Jim Crow, if you will. Like, white people, you listen to fucking Van Halen and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and shit. Or if you're black, you listen to black music, you know, and that, like you see this like in rock documentaries all the time, like, oh, that's too black sounding or oh, that's too white sounding. And that still kind of like permeates like in the early 90s kind of thing. But like it was it was very segregated. It wasn't until like MTV where it's just like you have this whole generation being exposed to like we don't give a fuck if it's black sounding or white sounding or whatever. Like artists like Prince and Michael Jackson kind of like toppled over those barriers where it's just like, no, this is just good music yeah. where like all these people are getting influenced by different genres. It's like like a buffet, you know, if you will, like that like like when Sizzler used to have that badass buffet back in the day, you know, you have your salad bar, you got your chicken wings, you got We, all that. we oftentimes disagree about Sizzler. Oh man, no, that Sizzler's <laughs> fucking salad bar back in the early 90s was the shit. It's the shitty now. Well, well, like okay, so I I agree with you that there were symptoms that were leading up to this and I think that the bring the noise, the public enemy mashup with Anthrax was like pretty groundbreaking, but then you also saw like Run DMC and Aerosmith do walk this way, like mm-hmm. the 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 rap metal thing of it wasn't that like groundbreaking. Like mm-hmm. it, that part of it wasn't groundbreaking, 
But when everyone went back to what they were doing, it all sounded like its own thing. Like, Anthrax didn't change the way Anthrax sounded. Like, Anthrax was still, like, thrash metal at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Like, it was, like, a dude rapping over thrash metal. Like, it it wasn't that, like... It was a one-off. Yeah, and same thing with, with Walk This Way. Like, Walk This Way, that still sounded like Aerosmith with... <laughs> with with like Run DMC. Run DMC rapping over it, like it wasn't that groundbreaking. Like it, when I say that it it kind of happened overnight, it, it was I will never mind. I think the one band that did does stick out in in the early nineties and the grunge movement that's that comes out of nowhere and does new metal before anyone had an idea what new metal was. It was Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. Rage Against the Machine comes out and does it in like this political like rap punk kind of vibe where it's like we're we don't care we're talking about the, the politics and like it, everything that you would hear in like this like underground movement of like kind of like it's going to like a fucking a rally Black panthers rally kind of thing it's like hell yeah dude like you guys are the truth like it was it was really really unique what they were doing mm-hmm. and and not only that but like you, you tom morello's guitar playing like yeah the the bass and drums like they were very funky and very groovy but Tom Morello's guitar playing also bring yeah Zach De La Roche, like he's basically rapping uh to you know the beat but then Tom Morello's guitar solos they're not so much solos but they're almost like DJ scratches like and oh, yeah. very innovative like the manipulating like the feedback of the guitar and stuff like that that was like unheard of like that was something that just like it, that helped bridge that gap between like yeah there's Aerosmith and Run DMC these are very much like it's like Neapolitan ice cream where it's just like here's chocolate here's white and then like you know cherries over here or whatever but like Tom Morello marrying you know that that rap with yeah, groove his and- instrument wasn't going to be like I, I don't know what's his name like Joe Perry or whatever like, <laughs> for, like it wasn't Joe Perry's guitar playing it was Tom Morello's guitar playing yeah. and it was like his guitar playing, he's one of the most underrated guitar players. Like, I think he's, like, one of the most brilliant guitar players. If not, like, he's in, like, the top five, like, best guitar players I've ever heard. And not because he does super complicated things. Or like, but because, like, you hear his soul and you hear, like, the, like, like, it's supposed to sound like hip-hop elements in, mm-hmm. in his guitar playing, which is, like, crazy. Because it's, like, guitar playing in general tends to be, like, a very, like, the notes tend to be longer than hip hop would allow. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he kind of mutes them and cuts them up to make them sound a little more like hip hop, hip hoppy, like it, it's syncopated. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very, very like, it's brilliant. Like what he does that like ice cream analogy, instead of, instead of it being a Neapolitan, it's kind of like a marbled ice cream where it's just like, it's all kind of mixed together, but it works perfectly. It's yeah. like peanut butter and chocolate kind of thing. Just mixed up all mm, just, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, he, that band really like, that was the first band to really do it. Like to do the, the new metal element of it. But it felt at that time period that it was, that was Rage Against the Machines thing. Like that was what they were doing. Like Tool was doing their thing, and I bring up Tool just because both of those bands have a lot of overlap. Because you know, Tom Morello was in was one of, was the original guitar player for Tool, and like it was kind of a weird thing. Um, like that's why on on the first Rage Against the Machine album, Maynard's in that album, and like it's just kind of a weird weird thing it, it didn't feel like that was that was a movement it felt like that was their thing and like that was it and i think it was like like early on like labeled as like art rock because it's all all the both of those bands kind of come out of like that la art society so it's kind of like again not not like aerosmith and uh 
uh, anthrax where it's just like, oh, this is just a one-off. It was kind of like an outlier, like, oh, here's just like these one bands doing this one thing, but then like everybody else is doing like, you know, a stereotypical thing, you know, in the mainstream kind of thing. This is just like the one band, if you will. But at this time period, a couple of things I just want to make clear, like that 80s glam rock, 80s, like everything 80s was was dead. Like Mm -hmm. if grunge hadn't killed it, this was killing it, like this alt-rock movement that was happening like Rollins band and White Zombie. I think really what, I mean, Nirvana gets like the big like congratulations you killed like that whole 80s thing because there was like a lot of disdain for it for many years, but it just wasn't going away. Like the hair metal glammy shit, even like in the pop world, like it was just like, how do we move past this kind of thing? There was a desperation. It wasn't until like Guns N' Roses I know you hate Guns N' Roses, but they kind of made it like a little bit more street. And then Metallica getting popular where it's just like, hey, we're just regular dudes like playing good music. And then, you know, then grunge kind of comes in and kind of is like the death nail of it all. And then the cherry on top is bands like Rage Against the Machine and Faith No More. And I know you don't like Chili Peppers, but the Chili Peppers and things like that. I don't hate the Chili Peppers. I just think that they're like... That dude is like the lead singer is like <laughs> so shitty. Like he has a few songs that I think lyrically are okay, but like for the most part, it's like the most garbage ass lyrics. Like, like sometimes I'm surprised that people take Chili Peppers as serious as, as they as as they do. Like, I give a lot of shit to like Corn now because like it's still like Jonathan Davis going like ah I hate having to pay taxes or whatever. <laughs> it's like dude, chill. It's like Chili Peppers is like same thing every time. It's like. California. Oh, I love California. And it's like, dude, we get it. You fucking live in California. Chill out. <laughs> Anyways, that that's my whole rant about chili peppers. Where it's like, dude, just we get it. You're rich and you live in California. Like, we got Flea over doing doing the national anthem on his base before Laker games. Like, chill the fuck out. Like, we we don't need any more of this California love. But to that point, though, they did help. Like I said, that cherry on top to help. Like push away like that whole 80s fucking oh yeah yeah i mean a lot of those bands like primus was in there mm-hmm. as one of those like alt rock bands that was coming out like doing kind of a basically like white boys doing funk yeah it was it was it was kind of it was heavy but it and it and it was aggressive but it wasn't angry like it didn't besides rage against the machine rage against the machine was the only one that felt angry at like mm-hmm. at the man like mm-hmm. everyone else was just kind of like like smashing pumpkins never felt angry like yeah, there were heavy songs. Like Roland's band, even though he was like angry in some songs, like it never felt like this dude's gonna start riot with that shit. Yeah, like it was never that. Like it, it was never like metal in like the way that it that it that it new metal became. But when I say it happened overnight, like as as far as like the album that like full on was labeled like this is new, new metal. metal. Like this is this is not Rage Against the Machine. This is not Smashing Pumpkins. It was that first corn album, like the, the self-titled corn album, that came out and it like it changed the game. Like maybe not even to the to the degree where it was constant radio play, but everybody knew. Like all of a sudden they were opening up for like Ozzy Osbourne on that first tour, and like I think they they were touring with like Biohazard and all these like other bands and like blowing them out. Like they were the opening act and people were like more pumped for them than they were Biohazard. Yeah. it's the same story of Metallica where it was just like the headliner, like people were leaving the headliner cause they wanted to see the opener. Um, and corn, they did it right. I think because everything we're talking to all this collection of bands or whatever, right? We're talking about hip hop. 
uh, one of the documentaries I was watching, like Head and Monkey, the two guitar players, they said like our goal was not to be, you know, like, you know, these shredders or whatever. Like he goes, we can do that. But it was just like it was, it was overdone at that time period. We were trying to do something different. Our inspirations growing up in Northeast Bakersfield, where we're currently sitting at, were Dr. Dre and the Chronic fucking doggy style like that that low-end bass heavy music cypress hill type of stuff and like those weird sounds and like those high-pitched you know keyboards that you know dr dre would incorporate or dj mugs would do in uh cypress hill like we were trying to do like that but like in a rock rock element type of way and like i'd never put two and two together and i was like oh yes me being like really into gangster rap like as a kid like that's why corn like felt so natural like a natural progression because they were doing the rock version of what Dr. Dre and, you know, Cypress Hill were doing, you know, with their music, but just on guitar. So that's like where you get like that really low sound. And they added like that seven string, like those seven strings Ibanez, and then detuned it to, I believe it was like drop A. Yeah, it was A. And um, for those who aren't, you know, musically literate, when you hear like a guitar sound, more times than not, it's an E uh, standard tuning. That's why it's very bright. It's very happy. It's very pretty. Uh, what Black Sabbath did in the '70s is they dropped it down half a step, so you got more of a gloomier sound. Uh, bands like you know Metallica and uh, Pantera, like if they wanted to have a super heavy song, they would drop it down to D. Corn just went all the way instead of going, you know, to. <laughs> fucking like mm. b or c or whatever they went all the way down to a and that seventh string that bassier string creates a lower end sound which like when you listen to like you know van halen everything's like bright and you know colorful and whatnot but like that a sound is like very muddy very heavy and to me in my opinion the only band to make that sound good was corn well i i think that the seven string, eight string guitars that are out now, like, like, it's a popular sound now. Like you look at like the and and we'll talk about this more later on in the podcast. But like musical genres like the gent and like you know a band like Meshuga. Meshuga was around this time period as well, coming up. But mm-hmm. like that's a that's that's so common now. Like most bands like. What's that one band? Uh, Story of the year. Story of the year plays in um, in in seven string guitars in like a tune now, and like they're playing like pop punk. Yeah. And a lot of that is like thanks to Corn. Like Corn popularized it. Like Corn brought it to the mainstream. And before that, I think it was only Steve Vai who was yeah. using like a seven string. And even with that, with Steve Vai, it wasn't being utilized in the same way Corn was doing it. Because like I said, to play and drop a, it sounds horrible. To, to you really gotta tr- like you gotta be either really talented or really try in the fucking the laboratory to try to make you know great sounding music, great catchy music. I mean, let's face it, a lot of these songs that Corn was putting together is catchy as shit. It's really hard to make a song like in Drop A, but Corn was doing it. They made three or four classic albums doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that that one really put them on the map. Um, I. I don't know if like new me- I mean there were like new metalish bands that were happening around so this is if you want to follow us in the timeline this is the 94. end of the end of 94 when the album comes out 95 there's like new metal adjacent bands that were that were you know that they were touring with Deftones is one of the bands that they were touring with a lot in California like up and down California and they put out Adrenaline in 95 um 
but at this, I, I, it almost feels like this is you saw the wave coming, but it wasn't really there until I would say about like '97. Like fast forward to '97, that seems to be the the year that like every like new metal band was like ready to like launch now. I think too. Yeah, you're right because I think like between '95, '96, and then '97. In '96, you have Life Is Peachy, Korn's second album, mm-hmm. where you get a lot more hip hop, um, you know, influences. We didn't talk about like uh, David and Fieldy's, you know, the rhythm section. Fieldy, very much inspired by Faith No More and you know, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah. where it's just like that more funky baseline. David, who is sorely missed in Corn because he has like that funky. <sighs> you know what? Corn hasn't been the same since he left. I agree, and it's just like it's that funky element, but with that dark twist that you know from gangster rap that that's on guitars basically. And then you have Jonathan Davis, basically he is like the Kurt Cobain of this genre. You know, he's talking about pain. He's not talking about wizards and shit or fucking, you know, nuclear Holocaust or whatever, like other, (laughs) you know, bands were talking about, you know, metal bands were talking about, like he was talking about like what was in his soul. Like this is, this is soul music, like in the metal community. And I think for me personally, that's, that's the thing that like really like pulled me towards it. Mm -hmm. And like, it was like this is like heavy as shit. It felt heavy as shit. Now I don't think it's that heavy, but it's still like for for the time being, it's pretty fucking heavy. It's pretty fucking angry. It's he's being like super honest about his emotions and what he's dealing with and like everything around him, especially on that very first corn album. Like the song Daddy could have its own like episode in general, but it's, but you know, they do those two albums. Every band is starting to like, you know, there's like little you know, Incubus puts out their very first album when they're still a new metal band. They, they all have dreadlocks at this time period. <laughs> and that's the other thing about new metal. Everyone had dreadlocks for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, 97 is ready to pop off. You see, like, the Cold Chambers and all this stuff. Sepultura. Who Sepultura like a- already had Cold Chambers, but or uh, Cold Chambers. They already had dreadlocks, but then they do Roots. I think you have Roots back mm-hmm. here. And that's their like new metal album where it's like full on new metal. Like they went from sounding like Slayer to sounding like fucking Corn. Yeah, 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 they they did, and it's like it. I think on that album, there's a song called "Look Away" on it, and I always think "Look Away" sounds like that sounds like a mixture of like Corn and like Slipknot before even Slipknot was around, and it's mm-hmm. like. Uh, Slipknot's another one of those bands. However, you may feel, I know that they shy away later on from the from the new metal label. So does Deftones, but like, you know, but they were pretty new metal. Like they had a DJ and the mm-hmm. dude was rapping. Like that's pretty fucking new metal, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but all these bands kind of started coming up in this in this in this time frame. But I don't think it was until Corn does follow the leader, and Corn knew like everyone's copying us right now, mm-hmm. and that. That lead up to follow the leader, like it was electric. I remember talking about like on those earlier episodes where I would go to this church camp and like all everybody was talking about was corn, 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 corn. Have you heard? Have you heard? Life is peachy. Have you heard Adidas? Have you heard this song? Have you heard this song? Blind, boom, boom, boom. Oh, they're working on a new album. Oh, they got fucking Ice Cube to come on it. Like this is gonna be the album that puts them over the top because those first two albums, like yeah, it's very influential. It's changing the way like. Bands like Sepultura sounding, you know, bands adjacent to them like Deftones, 
you know, like you said, gold chambers and shit. Like they're changing their sounds and whatnot because it's just like it's like that movement, like a lot like gangster rap, a lot like grunge, where it's just like, okay, here we go, guys. It's like a wave that's ready to crash, like right into the sand. And like you, you nailed it on the head. Follow the leader. That is the album that like breaks it through to the mainstream. And you see the video, the first video on there, uh, got the life fucking debuts i think it's like number four or three like on trl in a time frame where like pop or the mainstream radio and you know mtv and whatnot it was being dominated by britney spears you know nsync backstreet boys yeah shit like that so that's the other thing i I did want to bring up trl because whether you like it or not mtv and trl played a huge like role in this whole thing um there was like the underground you know and then there was like trl and the mtvs and like you know, MTV, this is that time period where, like, MTV was changing to become more and more mainstream and embracing, like, the pop music that was out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had, like, the Oasis Brothers on there and all this, like, <laughs> weird shit. But, yeah, Korn literally, like, explodes and becomes, like, a household name. Now they're, like, Got the Life is getting played. And some bands were already, like, starting to, like, like the where do we go from here kind of thing, like, you know, was already kind of happening, but, like, like is this is this gonna work out kind of thing? Like there was there was a, I think there was a little bit of like that whole thing already happening, but for the most part, Corn does that album. Mm-hmm. Limp Biscuit does three dollar bills, y'all. Like at this point, like they're both TRL bands, and it's like holy shit! Like new metal is like here. Like this is the new sound. Like this is if you don't like it, then you're with the old times now. Like correct. Limp Biscuit has a fucking DJ in the band. Like there's like. There's fucking rappers on these albums now, and like it's it sounds completely different than like a Metallica album or like a you know whatever else was going on, but but it it, it whether you liked it or not, it changed the music spectrum like forever, really. Yeah, and then um like you said, like with Follow the Leader, you know you have three dollar bill, y'all, and then it kind of gets even bigger. Like once Limp Biscuit releases um, Significant Other. Um, you know, that's the album that has Nookie and break yeah. stuff and whatnot. And it just, it feels like, again, like, so that's early 99 that that comes out in, mm-hmm. uh, significant other. And I, I think that, I think, I honestly think, dang, I didn't realize that had a cut on my leg, but, um, <laughs> um, I think that that was an important album just because that one was the one that kind of separated corn and, and limb biscuit. For the most part, these were like buddy buddy bands, and like they were on Family Values tour, which is like a full on new metal tour. Like, Corn headlined the first, and that was Corn's Corn's festival, but uh, you know they headlined the very first one. They took Limp Bizkit on tour. I think the original one was was Incubus, Limp Bizkit, Orgy, Ice Cube, Rammstein, and Corn was the headliner. Deftones was in there some. Nah, Corn Corn. Corn didn't take the only the only festival that they ever toured with was uh Family Values uh two thousand six. That one was Corn and Deftones. Okay. But but uh Deft Deftones at this point was already kind of separating themselves. They were like, ah, I don't know about this whole thing. Like we're gonna do our own thing and then, you know, White Pony and Significant Other came out close to around the same time period. And White Pony was already like not a new metal album, but um but yeah, I mean that was like, you know, Nookie was like the song, like that was the TRL number one song for like ever and ever, and like it was just, it was just uh, it was just way way popular than like anything. 
I remember that song being like, I don't, I don't remember being on commercials, but I remember being like on every fucking like radio station. If you turn on the radio, like Nookie was on there. Yeah, it was like, damn, yeah. this thing, this thing, and I was like super excited for that album. Like I remember because I liked the Three Dollar Bills Y'all album. Like I was like, mm-hmm. this is that album was like goofy. It was like, what if Corn was goofy? <laughs> and like, <laughs> it was like I really enjoyed the Three Dollar Bills album, and so. I don't know how you felt about that album, but when I got that album, I was like, oh, this guy's like taking himself seriously now. <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference between like $3 bill and uh, significant other, and this is what I was going to, my train of thought was going to go down. It's just like when you got all these bands, like you said, Deftone, Sepultura, you know, $3 bill, y'all, Limp Bizkit, even Slipknot's first album. Those are all children of friend of the show. Uh, I forgot what episode he was on. Ross Robinson. He produced yeah. all of those albums. His sound is all over that. I believe he is labeled as the godfather of new metal. I mean, you listen to all those albums: Adrenaline, Roots, Three Dollar Bill, uh, you know, uh, Slipknot self-title, Corn self-title, Life Is Peachy, um, you know, even Iowa. Uh, they have like this distinct fucking sound where it's just it's like we were talking about where it's like yeah there's rap elements in there uh but it's not over the top rap it's it's not culturally appropriating any culture over here it's just like it, it naturally incorporating like the funk the groove and the back low end of it but at the same time providing you all that emotional uh energy that you know that kurt cobain would give you or you know that pop sensibility that like a george michael or uh, michael jackson would give you as well so th- that lives in there when significant other comes out like in 99 it is basically like saying like hey we're just going to take everything that we like about fucking uh hip hop and pretty much just like run with it and put a backwards red hat on it i i like maybe about half of that album and then the other half of it is kind of a little wonky a little silly a little dated if you will nah. but it is very much like the rap element took over on it immensely it wasn't like rage against the machine where it was just like it was naturally melded together with like the rock and the funk it was very much like that neapolitan ice cream because at the end of the day the actual band limp biscuit where you got west borland you know and the bass player and the drummer and then even dj lethal they're amazing musicians and then you have fred dursh driving this ship one way to that weird wonky I don't want to say the 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 white boy version of the N word here, but it's yeah. like that's basically what it is, like that Malibu's most wanted kind of shit, where yeah. you can feel the friction of the band, where it's just like Wes is a legit artist, DJ Lethal is a legit hip hop producer. I think I think even like uh, Sam Rivers, the bass player, he's like one of the best bass players out there. Like mm-hmm. it's a great great band in the sense of like these musicians are really good at what they do. If you were to put Zach De La Rocha in the Limp Bizkit <laughs> band, like, you would have a band comparable to Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that that's such a great band music-wise. And I think that Limp Bizkit has kind of probably become the, the, the focal point of a lot of this conversation because they take the... Even though Korn, like, started this whole thing and they were follow the leader and they were, like, on top of this, on top of the world, you know... And I, I just want to give a couple of shout-outs to a couple of, like, little bands that were... You know, obviously, like Static X was in this time period. Cold Chamber, who I've actually never listened to a Cold Chamber album. <laughs> I I know that they get labeled a lot in the new metal era, but I do not know one Cold Chamber song. Loco, that's the only one I know. Loco, see, I I don't know any anything from them. I know that they're in the whole like new metal genre thing, but I don't know one of their songs, and I, I am ashamed that I don't know. As being as as fan of like the new metal genre, I don't know one of their fucking songs, dude. You're not missing too much. So <laughs> they, okay, and then that's another thing that. 
they look like the corny version of corn. Like, mm-hmm. and that's another thing. And I know that now that that's like relevant, but even back then when I was a kid, like, I don't know if you ever bought the, the there was a magazine called Circus Magazine yep. back, back in the day. And that was like basically the new metal magazine. Like mm-hmm. it talked about every band that was hot, every like new metal band, like where they're touring, like what they're doing on their tour. And I ate it all up, dude. I was all about it. And like, I, th- I thought it was the coolest shit ever because I was like, oh, dude, they got Jonathan Davis poster in here. There's a Chino Moreno poster over here. I was mm-hmm. like, I got to have this shit. And and at the end of the magazine, they, they had like a, a thing of like every shirt, like every yep. band shirt. And I was like, oh, dude, I got to get this fucking. Circle them and shit, yeah. Fear Factory. <laughs> got to get that. <laughs> like, it was just like, I was I was all about it. Um, And every time I saw like Cold Chamber in there or like Mushroom Head, I was always like, oh, this is like fucking corny as hell. Like. This is like gore. Like, yeah, I can never get into gore because like it's fucking like too corny. It's gimmicky. It's metal kiss. Like, it's like it's not for me, dude. Like, yeah, this is not like I know Slipknot falls in the whole like very gimmicky mask or anything, but Slipknot musically is like incredible. Mm-hmm. So like that's why they always like get the pass on me. Where it's like that the music holds its own. Like mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what they look like. The music holds its own. Here it's like this is so corny. Like if like if Corey Taylor came out dressed like the fucking lead singer of Cold Chamber, I'd be like, you better be really fucking good at what you do, dude. <laughs> and like, I think I've heard some Cold Chamber and it just sounds bad. Like, it's just not. Yeah, funny. you're not missing much on that. Um, but my whole point with bringing up the full significant other, like, it went from like this legit piece of art, I would say, to like, it's significant. And I like significant other, don't get me wrong, but it leads the genre down a road where it's made for people who go to AMPM and fill up their big gulp, 64 ounce big gulps with like Mountain Dew. It's like it becomes almost thoughtless music. It becomes music yeah. you play in the background kind of thing to a, a monster truck rally, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I think that what Korn was doing and like, you know, the early bands that were new metal, like if you take a Deftones, if you take a Korn, if you take Sepultura, all these bands, what they were doing what their lyrical content felt like really genuine and like you could stand behind what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Limp Bizkit, and on their first album, there was a little bit of that, but on the first album, it was very much like, I'm angry, like I'm going to fucking like pee on, pee on you kind of thing and like be <laughs> like that. It was very like juvenile. Like it was, mm-hmm. there was a very juvenile charm to what Fred Durst was doing on the first album. It was almost like, what if Primus rapped? Yeah. It was kind of like lyrically that. And like, this was like, like making up words like nookie and things like that, like about like being upset about girls. It, it just, it felt commercial for the first time. It was the commercial version of, and it was like a 30 year old talking about high school problems. Yeah. And, and, and it was just like, it, it wasn't for me. Even as a kid, I was like, this is, this is like, and I didn't even know how to put it. Into, now I look back at it and I'm like, yeah, this is like frat boy rock. But like it, at the time I was like, this isn't, this isn't corn. Like corn was like, angry like you know these bands over here for legit reasons yeah like i I felt like even like deftones deftones was already like i think this album and white pony came out of very similar times Mm -hmm. and like i the minute i heard white pony i was like this is incredible like this is beautiful from start to finish this like nothing nothing about this feels like he's forcing anything on you this over here is like like we got the world's best mc kills it on this record we got Met the man, all this stuff, and it's like, dude, stop trying to be like a minute ago. You're talking about like peeing on like people and like Fred, like you're just not that dude. Like Malibu's like, most wanted. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it was just so like cringy. It felt cringy. 
It wasn't terrible. I don't think it. I don't think it's like. I think the music uh, Wes and like you know you said Sam and DJ Lethal. They kind of prop that band up during that time period because again the music's good. The nookie like yeah, when you hear uh, the yeah. when you hear that boom, 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 that's DJ Lethal you know giving you a fat beat or whatever. And then like when the guitars hit, even break stuff like that guitar riff, even simple as it is, it, it it's beautiful and that the band itself is holding it up but it's just this this dude that is in a position is probably the world's biggest rock star in a position he probably shouldn't be in but also driving a whole genre it was heading towards like a really good place kind of like hijacks the the car and takes it down like this weird yeah. road where you start to get like fucking bands like crazy town fucking um like you said mushroom head like these like just dumb bands fucking seether uh what no uh seether was a little bit after but like not i seether, think but I like think, uh like head pe was a band that there you go I, I think i think of head pe as being like direct descendants of the limp biscuit formula mm-hmm. of a dude rapping and screaming and like a dj and like i even I, vanilla ice like yeah yeah i mean tommy lee put out his new metal album <laughs> around this time period like everybody saw what limp biscuit was doing every white dude out there was like i'm a fucking <laughs> i'm super like homophobic and i can rap like let me <laughs> go out there and do my thing <laughs> and like and they all put it out not homophobic i don't want to say misogynistic fred, misogynistic fred durst i don't think it was ever homophobic but um and shout out to fred durst for never i'll say this about fred durst as he's aged not that i like him or anything like that i still think he sucks but like i think he he thinks of life in a little more like introspective kind of way. <laughs> like i don't know I, I i he's a good interview if you ever watch one of his interviews he's like i agree i'll he's, tell you that he's, yeah. he's a good interview watch but, but he was um, wild and out though like like once faith like that blew up on trl for them like he went over like he he went over the top right he you can see like oh, yeah. a self-destruction right here yeah i mean he i i think he he took the mantle that that uh jonathan davis that jonathan davis had and he became the face of new metal mm-hmm. and I think that this is where bands really, you know, you either embrace new metal and became head PE and became all those bands that were coming out, all the Papa Roaches and everything that was happening, all mm-hmm. the edemas. There you go. Um, that were happening around this time period that were like, just want to capitalize on this moment. Or you went the Slipknot, Deftones route where it's like, that was our last new metal album and now we're doing Iowa and White Pony. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be different now. Like, it's it's a different road now. And a lot of that happened. I know you want to bring it up, but a lot of this, it was happening in, 1999 to 2000, but the big thing happened summer of 1999 uh, when Woodstock 99 happened. Correct. And, and to me, like this is like the pinnacle of this genre. I mean, at the concurrently, you also had, you know, like DMX was popping off at this time, and so it was it was a time frame of aggressive music, but also it it, it was like a, a pop charm to it. So it was easy to get crowds ramped up. So like, I remember watching Woodstock 99, like when it was happening, cause I believe MTV broadcasted it, like like the whole fucking telecast, all three days of it and whatnot. And I remember being there for it. And I believe Friday night was headlined by corn. Yeah. And even corn talks about it. Like when on the, the documentary done by Sam Dunn about new metal, check it out on YouTube. 
uh, Corn was like, dude, I had never seen like, like we've never seen like a crowd like that crazy in our lives. Like just the way sound moves, like how people would jump. And then like, you just see these like waves of people as far as the eye could see kind of thing. And I remember watching it and that whole energy of Corn was just like, oh, wow. That that performance is all on YouTube and it is extremely worth watching Mm -hmm. because Jonathan Davis, I think, I think I've seen Corn several times now. That was Jonathan Davis's best performance. Like mm-hmm. he is all over that stage, and he is like drenched in sweat halfway through the performance. There's a point where they play porno creep, and like I think it's almost almost just to give him a, a breath of fresh air because there's you know just a little musical interlude type of thing Correct. where it's just like oh my god, this dude is like literally destroying himself on stage, mm-hmm. and he's placing that energy into the crowd in a positive way. And then I remember seeing like DMX on stage. It, it, just, it was just an amazing concert up until I believe Saturday night when Limp Biscuit, you know, they headlined Saturday night and you see it, it's a perfect thing analogy for what we were talking. We've been talking about the last like couple of minutes where it's just like, yeah, all of that energy is being placed out there on top of all the stuff, like in the background about Woodstock 99 and that maybe be another topic down the road. But then you just see like break stuff hits and then you see them, you know, the crowd like ripping up like uh, plywood. And then you, there's a famous video where like a girl's like exposing her breasts and like 10 dudes like go and like grab her or whatever. And I guess what was it like a hundred fucking rapes and sexual assaults? It was, like a it was something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And you just see like the difference between the two crowds where it's just corn. They were putting on a performance and people were exercising their emotions. Fucking... Limp Biscuit also puts Fred Durst puts on a performance and it's exercising hedonism and like everything ugly about well I mean I mean the the music is different like although it may sound similar uh, you know at, at first glance like the the Limp Biscuit and Corn there is a frat boy element to mm-hmm. what Limp Biscuit does there is the break stuff like Jonathan Davis isn't just breaking stuff for like just to do cuz I'm an angry teenager and I don't care what you tell me mom kind of thing like Jonathan Davis talking about very serious things. Like he ends that performance for Corn ends with the song "Got" or not "Got the Life," uh, "My Gift to You." Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Davis is like literally on the ground crying at the end of the performance. And um, over here is just like a bunch of like I think Puff Daddy's on the side. If you watch that performance, like you got Fieldy and Puff Daddy and Jonathan Davis are there. And I think Jonathan Davis walks away like halfway through that performance. And later on, I didn't know this, but when he when he see when he talks about it now that they're much older and he talks about it, he's like, you know what you fucking did, dude. Like you were like he kind of talks about it in a very like negative light. And that kinda explains why he like left halfway through that performance mm-hmm. and only like Puff Daddy and Phil Deer left on the side <laughs> of the stage. But like it's it it really was the divide, I think. That was kind of like you're either gonna go like more commercial or you're gonna like like are you gonna lean into this limp biscuit? element or are you gonna like are you gonna evolve yeah and it was like it was it was happening like 99 set it set it off and i don't want to say like i know a lot of people point to that point being like the day that new metal died but if you really fast forward limb biscuit does an even bigger album a more their more most commercially successful album in the chocolate starfish and the hot dog mm-hmm. flavor water Corn follows that performance up by releasing Issues, mm-hmm. and it's like their biggest, most commercial, commercially successful album, followed by their most massive tour, the Sick and Twisted tour, where they basically headline like arenas all around America with Papa Roach and Power Man 5000. Mm-hmm. I got to see that here in Bakersfield. That was super cool. Same here. That was actually my very first concert, I think. And like, 
it blew me away. Papa Roach is the first band I ever saw live. <laughs> and that's another one of those things that's like, these guys, like, there was a little bit of a poser element. Because when I saw Papa Roach, they they looked like four, like, cholos. And, like, they all had, like, slick back hair and, like, they had Dickies ben and Ben Davis shirts and all this stuff. I was like, oh, these guys look like fucking cholos. And, like, fast forward to their follow-up album, like, like 2003-ish, and, like, now they're all doing, like, butt rock stuff and, like... Mascara and Karen haircuts yeah, and, and it's shit. Like, what is this, dude? Like, it I was like, where did this shit happen? I, I, I know we disagree on that, but I think it was, like, one of those moments, like how I was talking about earlier about, like, hair metal, where it was just, like, there was a sentiment, like, oh, my God, I can't wait till this, this, this thing is over. Like, we need something to come and wash away the rain, like Taxi Driver. And I think 99 was giving credence to like that that mindset like there's a there's a very famous clip on youtube about artists talking about like new metal or rap metal or whatever where it's like green day saying like i don't understand it i don't want to understand it and this was all before like woodstock 99 that gave them a reason to hate on that genre yeah, and i yeah. think like that's where like you start to see slowly like mtv like turn away from it and start focusing like on the more like emo bands and more even corn, like they start to move away from like that that stereotypical new way or new metal sound, and they get more like industrial, more nine inch nail sounding. Like to me, issues is like more of a not so much a new metal album. Yeah, there's new metal elements, but there's like a lot of like industrial elements, a lot of gothic elements to it. Whereas like Limp Biscuit full on just like turns into like a rap band. Well, see the the reason why I I disagree. I think that new metal has always was never the most like popular genre. Like it was going to be hard to make Jonathan Davis a household name when he's talking about like being molested and all this mm. stuff. Like that was not going to be commercially like sellable. It was just not going to work. Limbiscuit, on the other hand, talking about like girls, talking about keep rolling, rolling, like that was gonna be like we it, can sell this all day. We, we could put, put we could put that on the side of a Mountain Dew cup. Yeah, yeah, like, like this is gonna work. This is this is the next Taco Bell commercial right here. <laughs> like it was just like it was just super easy to sell that. And, and I think like Fred Durst did like a a collab with Christina Aguilera at the MTV Music Award. Like it, it was all for the nook. And it was it was so like over the top disgusting. At this point, this was Motley Crue all over again. This was mm-hmm. the hair bands all over exactly. again. Like it had taken over. Uh, I, the reason why I think I think once nine eleven hit mm-hmm. and like what is the organization that handles like what gets played on the radio? Um, oh, standards and practices. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. They they have uh like the FDA or whatever. I don't oh, know. Oh, the FFC. FCC. Yes, yeah. And the FCC pulled like every like new metal song. Anybody that was like every Rage Against the Machine was pulled. Every break stuff, anything corn related was pulled. Like all this stuff was pulled. Mm. And I remember being in high school. Like that was my sophomore year of high school. It happened in September, so it's early, relatively early in the school year. And I don't remember it being any different than last year when we were all like rocking our corn shirts and being all like about corn. 9-11 happens and it almost feels like a light switch was flipped Mm -hmm. because at this point, MTV's not playing it anymore. MTV's not playing anything violent. Nobody's breaking shit on MTV anymore. I know it becomes all pop punk, Blink-182. Well, well, I I think, I mean, yeah, part of that, but I think that the big, the big meteor that came and like killed the, the, the dinosaurs, the kill the dinosaurs was like, well, what do we do now? Like, what are we going to put out there? And the, the the three bands I think that MTV pushed and all the, the K-Rocks and all the big radio stations pushed were The Strokes, Interpol, and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's. Mm-hmm. And maybe the White, did I say the White Stripes in there too? But, no, uh, but yeah. Um, 
but like those four bands came out, that garage rock sound all of a sudden became really popular, and it was like night and day. Like it, I remember in Safe. high school, yeah, in, in high school, this kid that was like a huge Slipknot fan, like he was like Slipknot fan number one. Like literally by the end of our sophomore year, the dude was wearing a what's that band? It was like those bands I think are still credible and still like had a mate. All of those albums that they brought out with their first debut albums were like great albums, but. He was wearing a the hives. You remember the hives? I do. Dude, they sucked. And he, I remember he was wearing like a the hive shirt, and I was like, dude, that shit sucks. Like, why are, why are you rocking this? Like, you were a Slipknot fan like two months ago, and now you're all about the hives. And heavy music still existed, but you're right, it got a little bit softer, a little bit more palatable. Um, and this is like where you see, and I'm not talking shit about them at all, uh, but they are a more, more palatable band. I saw like where Linkin Park gets humongous yeah. with, you know, Hybrid Theory and then Meteora. Uh, and I remember not liking that shit at first just because I was like, oh, this sounds like Limp... Because I, I was off the Limp Biscuit train after this. Like, once, like, Hot Dog Flavored Water came out, I was like, oh, fuck it. I can't get behind this. Like, I need to, I need to get back into some fucking, like, underground hip-hop or something or explore, like, all the East Coast rap like I was ignoring because I was a fucking loyal soldier to Death Row Records. But... Uh, this is where you get fucking hybrid theory, and then you also get bands like fucking Stained and Evidence and fucking uh, P.O.D., like I the Christian those, rap. I think those were like the safe new metal bands. Like mm-hmm. At that point, it was like, well, we can't really promote these bands anymore. Like, mm-hmm. And and I think the the thing, I mean, if, if the, the bands came and killed like new metal, the thing that really put the nail in the coffin was Limbiscuit's follow up to uh, Hot Dog Flavored Water was um, Results May Results Berry. May Berry, which Horrible. I actually tried listening to. Like, I listened to the first three songs this morning, and like, there's the first song, like, Fred tries to sing, and like, the ones that the other ones that radio one where he like talks about sniffing girls' underwear, and it's like, dude, this is like not good anymore. <laughs> it became like Limp Biscuit's butt rock album. And then Corn puts out Untouchables, and Untouchables, I think, is like, I don't like Untouchables. I just can't fuck with that album. Yeah, they become uninspired at that point. I think they're all, like, addicted to, you know, new vices and better drugs and shit, so they're not as focused. I mean, you can only sing about getting, you know, molested so many times <laughs> and your inner demons. When you you literally, you I, I got think, the life. Like, he's he's married to a porn star. It's just like, what? What do you want me to talk about? Like fucking TRL isn't playing my videos. Like, <laughs> like I mean, nobody can relate to that shit at that point. So it's just like, yeah, of course you're getting that. But like Lincoln Park, like it, they nail it. Yeah, I didn't like it at the time, but looking back on it, listening to those songs, Chester, a new voice for a new generation, where it's not as intense, but like the pain is still there. Like he's turning it on the inside. I mean, rest in peace, Chester. I remember going to this concert, the the second summer sanitarium tour. Walking in, hating the fact that I have to watch Linkin Park, but walking out a big, having a lot of respect for Linkin Park, just watching them, what they they were doing on stage. Chester, this little like 72 pound dude, fucking belting it out, similar to what Jonathan Davis was doing like in the early 90s. I mean, just talking about like his mental health issues and shit like that. And it was just like, oh, wow, like this is actually beautiful to see. And then melding it with real hip hop. Like Limp Bizkit was doing the whole fucking like, if if this was hip hop, like Limp Bizkit was like the cash money, no limit records. But like Linkin Park, like they were taking it back to their roots, like the Beastie Boys type of shit. Like where it was just like, hey, like the fucking break dancing, the spray paint, like the whole fucking B-boy shit. Like, like real, like true hip hop. Like, yeah, like we got, 
you know, we got a fucking uh, a yeller in Chester, but then we also have like a legit DJ who's putting together legit beats and whatever. Yeah, and like yeah. the, people have legit love for both genres. We're not trying to culturally appropriate anything here. Like it, we are yeah, living it, the gimmick. He's a great DJ. Uh, is his name Han? DJ Han? Yeah, I think Rico so. calls himself Mr. Han. Um, yeah, like he's a he's a really great DJ. I think I wasn't that I never really hated Lincoln Park. I was never huge on Lincoln Park. I think that their um the album that they did after so the hybrid theory and then Meteora? No, they did a re reanimation. Oh, reanimation yeah, yeah. said like that uh remix CD mm-hmm. which is like brilliant. Like if you're going to do a remix CD, that to me is the gold standard cuz that's like the best remix CD I've ever heard is is mm-hmm. reanimation. Um I did buy after that I was kind of sold. I was like this is amazing. Like Meteora I wasn't Oh, sorry, not mediocre. Um, hybrid theory. I wasn't that into hybrid theory, but then after reanimation, I did buy um, Meteora, and then um, I kind of like I kind of stopped listening to them after a while. I was like, yeah, they're starting to do a lot of the same shit over and over. <laughs> but but I do have a lot of respect for what they do, and I think like uh, you're right. I think uh, Mike Shinoda is like a real rapper. Like you look at his rap career now, like he's doing real rap music now because mm-hmm. he, he was good at what he did. It never felt fake. It never felt phony. It never felt like these guys were trying to do anything, anything that wasn't them, you know? And like you go back to that time period, they weren't the first ones. Like I was thinking of a, of a, of a band that had the same vibe. And it's like, um, there's this band called Darwin's waiting room. And I think, I, I think I talked to Greg about this band because like he was a big fan of it, and I wasn't a big fan of it, but I thought they were actually like pretty decent. Mm-hmm. But like Darwin's waiting room was basically Lincoln Park before Lincoln Park. Uh, they just weren't as talented. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean they, they were they weren't the first to do it, but they did it the best, and like they they definitely like deserve you know a big piece of like of changing the musical genre. I know the I know new metal will always get a lot of hate, especially from like the old school metal heads that were like, You don't sound like fucking Slayer. This isn't Slayer dude. Like <laughs> but it's it, it to me it was metal. It is a big part of metal and And then you also I mean you also gotta talk about like a band like fucking System of a Down where we yeah. talked about Rage Against the Machine and they were very much I think ninety eight, that's when they put their self title album out and you know that song sugar or whatever very much a new metal sounding thing but like this like you said like where those bands are like all right we're gonna pivot away from this we're gonna get back to our roots no sepultura pun here but like Mm -hmm. you know it's four or five armenian dudes in very much in a post 9-11 world putting together very politically charged music getting back to like what raged against the machine they took the, the mantle that rage was like running with they took that baton and ran with it and that's a band too that I found later because at this point, like I was piecing out of fucking new metal. Like I, oh, there's so dude, many, there were so was, many PODs and disturbs. Like wow, like once I started hearing that shit, I was like, I'm done. There's the, only so many Mountain Dew commercials I can watch. I was done, so I was ignoring albums like fucking Toxicity. You go back and you're like, oh my god, this is just as important, if not more important, than a fucking album like fucking Iowa. I I the first like three albums I bought with my own money were. Um, Two of them, two of which I really wanted for myself because that was it, and the other one my sister wanted. So I'll tell you the the, the, the three that I bought: White Pony, uh, the self-titled System of a Down. I the funny thing about System of a Down is one night when I was a kid, I was like a junior high kid or whatever, um, I couldn't sleep, so I just turned the radio on. I was listening to radio, and they played uh, Spiders on the radio on Crab Radio here in Bakersfield, mm-hmm. 
and I was like, damn, that's fucking sick. Like, mm-hmm. that was amazing. And so, like, I, like, wrote it down. I was like, just don't it down. I get that <laughs> Stone Down album. And that's the only song I knew off the album. And then I heard it, and I was like, dang, these guys are fucking heavy as hell. Mm-hmm. Like, I, they were way faster than any other band I had heard at that time. Um, and then my sister really wanted the Papa Roach album. So uh, I I have heard of the Papa Roach album. It's actually not that bad, the, the first Papa Roach album, but it was not for me. I heard it, like, first song, I was like, this is already kind of corny. There's a line where he says, like, what's that Janet Jackson song where she's like, call me Mrs. Jackson if you're nasty or something oh, like that. Oh, nasty boys. Yeah, and then he has a line in that same in that, in that album where he's like, my name's Kobe Dick. Mr. Dick, if you're nasty. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just kill myself. And even as a kid, I was like, nah, I'm good, dog. But I think to go back to toxicity a little bit, like that album, like when you go back and you look at the history of what, like its legacy or whatever, it kind of like took away like that whole like mindless fucking Mountain Dew culture that was going on right there. The Von Dutch hat wearing motherfuckers. And we we're in a time like we're in America, like we're at war with terrorism or whatever. And we're finding out all this bullshit about fake weapons of mass destruction or whatever. And they're kind of waking us up to kind of things that are going out there like prison song and shit like that. Kind of putting like the substance back like into uh, the mainstream, if you will, kind of thing. You see like that, they move the needle on that. And that's very much a new metal band doing that. And then I think another death knell that you got to talk about is when Guitar Hero came out. Yeah, that's... I, well, that came out a little later on. Like, I was in, in high school. To me, when I left high school, so new 04. metal was... Yeah, yeah, I think after 04, like, new metal was already dead. Mm-hmm. Like, but it was I, super dead, like, once Guitar Hero came out. Because new metal... One of the things about um, new metal, like, one of the standards... Of musically of how it's put together is there's no guitar solos it's just all about you know to quote phil anselmo the money riff and there's like for as somebody that, pl- that played guitar and plays guitar or whatever like there's something fun about like a really complex you know metallica song you know like that old like italian you know composer german composer kind of shit like there's something beautiful like when you put together like a yeah, piece yeah. of you know orchestrated art or whatever there's only so many times you can play like a fucking you know power chord you know three or four times where it's just like oh okay this is whatever like there's something beautiful about the musicianship and i think like oh five like when you see like guitar hero come out where like all these older bands start to get some love again where you start to get bands like lamb of god and fucking mastodon and i hate to give them credit but they actually kind of helped moved you know the genre away from like new metal but like avenge sevenfold like where they start to reintroduce like guitar solos and and shit again and so i remember this time period so like i would say like my high school years were really weird because, like, my freshman year was, like, all new metal. Like, everybody, if you like metal, you were into new metal. You were into corn. You were mm-hmm. into Deftones. Like, you you were all about new metal. My sophomore year was kind of split in two where it was, like, oh, new metal was cool when we started, but then 9-11 happened, and now we're all into dub bands. And, like, <laughs> we're, even even for me, like, I was, like, I was, like, I, uh, I bought the the first Filter album, the Short Bus album, which I think mm-hmm. is like one of the most criminally underrated albums out there. I heard that album and I was like, dude, that album is like super noisy and distorted, and like that album like literally single handedly got me into um got me into noise rock and noise metal because it was just that I was like, did they record this in one take and call it a day? Like this is weird, but um, that album like really like changed changed the game for me. And that happened to me my my sophomore year. So, like, I was already kind of, like, wiggling away from, like, new metal. And I started getting into, like, noisier bands and, like, 
glass jaw and things like that. But, um, um, but yeah, I think by, by the, by like my junior year, senior year, like, so Oh three, Oh four, I think that, um, I heard, um, like headbangers ball was coming back mm-hmm. and, uh, headbangers ball was that other thing that was like, Oh, they're not playing Limp Biscuit on here. Like, th- like the only new metal band I think I ever saw on there was Deftones, and that was actually the big reason I started watching it was because Deftones were going to host it with, with um, who's the dude from Hatebreed? Um, Jimmy Josta. Jimmy Josta. Uh, Jamie Josta. Um, and um, <laughs> and uh, they were on there with him, and like they were playing all these videos, and then I was like, well, I just keep watching it because this is like that metal show, and they were playing bands like Dillinger's Escape Plan, and Every Time I Die, and like mastodon and gojira and i was like this is not new metal at all but this is like dope as hell mm-hmm. and so like musicianship I, mattered again yeah i was like this is this is dope and i'm still like every to this day and like i still stick by a lot of things that I, like i listen to a dillinger escape plan album and i don't listen to it because the dude is shredding it on guitar he's not fucking some shredder but like m- the music wise is still like what what I hold important is that the fact that that David element like the if you subtract David from Corn is it still Corn in my opinion no, no not really but that element of I need to like I need to I need soul. my soul to move like is this gonna move my soul like mm-hmm. what I don't give a fuck if it's guitars I don't care I don't care if it's just fucking trumpets and flutes like I don't care <laughs> what it, yeah I don't care what it is that what instrument you're gonna bring I just want it to move my soul if and it's that, all drums. Dude, that's it. That's cool. I'm cool with that. And that's what Dillinger has, like, no guitar in their solos, but, like, it moves my fucking soul. And I think that's, like, the big thing, like, when we're talking here. Like, when you're talking about, like, Korn, like, when they came and became the fathers of a new metal, it was all about the soul. Whether you're talking about David on the drums or you're talking about Fildy slapping the bass or whatever. And I'm not saying that to be funny. He, slapping really, the ba- he does slap the bass. He does slap the bass. He, he even says in an interview, he goes, I don't even think Korn has a bass player because I've, it's mostly clicks and slaps or whatever. And he's like, he's right. You know, it's that, yeah. that flea fucking funk slap bass kind of shit. And it's like, that's, that's that whole Dr. Dre shit where it's just like, oh, there's not just one drum pattern I'm following. There's multiple drum patterns that I'm following. That African influence, that mm-hmm. fucking tribal fucking instinct that we all have. And then you talk about Fildy or uh, Monkey and Head, like they're bringing their influences, like that soul into their guitar from a very ugly sounding detuned seven string, eight string guitar, making beauty out of fucking ugliness. That soul, where it's just like Limp Biscuit. And I'm not, I don't mean the musicians in Limp Bizkit. I'm mostly looking at you, Fred, a young Fred here, where it's just, it's soulless, it's shallow, it's, 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 it's all gloss and no fucking substance kind of thing. And like, that's the big thing, that soul, like what's moving my soul and yeah. my spirit. And I think that first Korn album, those first four Korn albums do that. Those first albums by Deftone, Sepultura, fucking Slipknot, System of a Down, uh, Linkin Park, wherever you want to you know, look at, like those albums had soul. Yeah, it might not be shredding like Yngwie Momsteam or fucking Eddie Van Halen or whatnot, but there's soul behind it. Yeah, and I think I think we discussed it earlier in the podcast, like maybe like 50 episodes ago. Like I still, I'm not a big guitar solo guy. Like I don't really care much for guitar solos. Not that I... I don't mind them every once in a while, but I do think that they become like, once it becomes like intro, verse, chorus, verse, guitar solo bridge, and the song. Yeah, it's like, you kind of know where it's going. I I always hate that, where it's like, you know the bridge is going to have a guitar solo, and you know it's going to, like, I always, that always bugs the shit out of me, because it just becomes like some formula, 
and it, and it always pushes me away. And I think new metal like gave me that where it was like in new metal you never did that shit. Like new metal was just like like it was nothing but like that punch, like the same thing hip hop does. Where like hip hop it was nothing but like like you could just groove to this shit. Like I mm-hmm. I always love that element of like it. roots, like the song by Sepultura. It was like nothing but a groove the yeah. whole time. Yeah. yeah, and and I and I like that. Like I'm not big on like. Every band that I like, I th- I think like even as a, as musically talented as a band like Tool is, like Tool doesn't rely on the guitar solo. Like Tool is very much like, you know, the drums are just as important as Maynard's vocals. Like everything is kind of like on the even plane, and I like that. I like the element that no one's gonna get it's, no one's gonna get their like um their shining spotlight moment. Everyone's one giant instrument. Mm-hmm. I, I like that element. <laughs> No, I agree. It's it's going back to what I was talking about with Rage, where it's just like instead of being like a Neapolitan ice cream, where it's just like these are all segregated flavors, it's like a nice marbleized ice cream, where it's just like it's all like mixed together. You get the fucking caramel, the chocolate, and the vanilla, and the chocolate chip, and the pudding <laughs> and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, that is new metal. Or, I don't know if you have anything else Did, you want to add or yeah, I mean, any other I mean, shout outs. Let, let me, I don't know if there's, I mean, I think if you're if you don't know that much about new metal or you only know like the corns and the limp biscuits, the bands that I would definitely check out. Obviously, I think the entire Deftones discography. Like I don't think they have a bad album. Their worst album, in my opinion, is if Saturday if there's a worst. I don't think that. I actually think that I, the album that never. Yeah, Saturday Night Wrist always feels a little disjointed, but I think those songs are all individually like pretty great. And I I enjoy it. I think Gore is a little bit like. I could see why people wouldn't like gore and and adrenaline is kind of like I could see why people wouldn't like adrenaline. All the other ones I think are incredible. Like it's like any one of those, pull them out and listen to them. But um, uh, I don't know. Just looking at it, I I guess like I'm trying to think of like really good new metal bands that were. Hmm. No, they all sucked. <laughs> no, I mean obviously I I uh, there's a band I I mentioned them a few times. They're called No One. And I think you can only find them on YouTube because I I can never find them. But they have a pretty sick album. They have very bass oriented. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like band. I listened to some Head PE when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, and, I was going uh, to ask you um, for somebody that is not into this genre, like a Jordan, like one of those uh, yeah, yeah big and rich listeners right there. If you if you wanted to sell somebody on. Uh, a new metal. What would you say that the most defining song for new metal would be? Hmm, that's a good question. The most defining song. It's kind of hard because I want to say like "Freak on a Leash," but at the same time, it's like nah. I probably it be more than one, I guess. Yeah, I guess if there's like a, I would put "Freak on a Leash" on there. I would put "Got the Life" on there. Mm-hmm. I would put "Faith" by Limp Biscuit in there. I would put um. Uh, let me think. Roots by Sepultura. Mm-hmm. I would probably put My Own Summer by Deftones in there. Great one right there. Um, Blind by Corn. I would definitely Blind say. Blind by Corn. Ball Tongue by Corn. I know that's not one of the singles, but Ball Tongue is one of those ones that, like, I think a lot of bands heard that song and were like, I'm going to copy the shit out of this Even song. Even Shoots and Ladders, man. I fucking think it's fucking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I See, I know you brought up System of a Down. I, I I don't think of them as a new metal band, but I guess I like I to me. I know everyone loves Toxicity, but I think their first album is better than Toxicity. 
Um, there's a song on that album called Pluck. I would put Pluck on there if we're going to put them in the in the new metal album. There's also a song called Soil. I would put Soil in there. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I'm trying to think. Dar- Darwin's Waiting Room. <laughs> uh, the song called uh, I'm So I Feel So Stupid. Um, damn, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think. Just a lot of that song. That band, No One. They have a song called Chemicals. That's pretty new metal. Would you say like Killing in the Name of by Rage? Would you put that in there? Yeah, but yeah, I would put that. Like anything Rage, I guess if they're new metal, yeah, anything Rage is incredible. Now I know there's a lot of fucking bad. Uh, uh, new metal songs to choose from, but what would you say? Like, if you like top of your head, gun to your head, <laughs> uh, what would you say the worst new metal song would be for you? Um, that Limb Biscuit song about like sniffing girls' underwears is pretty bad. Um, uh, a lot of Limb Biscuit, like, so let me put you like, all right, so obviously, that I can't think of that song, it's on Resultry Berry. Uh, they also did a really shitty cover of The Who on that same album, oh, Behind Blue Eyes, yeah. So I would put that in there, it was like one of the worst covers I've heard. Um, so that in there, um, a lot of what was on chocolate starfish, like rolling and all that stuff, like it's super disposable, but not to pick on them too much. Um, I think Power Man 5000 had some like decent, decent, like club banger songs, but Power Man 5000 also had some like shitty, like songs that are like, Oh my God, that's terrible. Papa Roach was pretty bad. A lot of the times, especially once they start going more butt rock than new metal. Uh, I'm trying to think. I guess Evanescence was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, God, Butterfly by Crazy Town. Yeah, Butterfly. All Crazy Town was pretty bad. Even when they're heavy, they're they're pretty bad. I didn't know that that was a um, Chili Peppers. Chili Peppers riff. I didn't know that. I thought. Yeah. I thought that was like a simple ass riff. I was like, well, you, did was you very, have to sample that? It was like a between like 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 a bridge fucking part huh. <laughs> that's what it was and they didn't even fucking like try to change up the baseline or either it was just like oh we're just gonna steal it and loop it kind of thing <laughs> that's why it sucks uh probably the worst one for me it's a head pe song called american beauty and it always struck me in a weird way uh just because e- even that, that one song down with the sickness i mean that's a good song oh disturb them. yeah disturb sucks yeah that that song it's cool in the beginning like because he feels all tribal and shit but like when you realize it's about him beating up his mom you're like, oh wow, that's cringy. But like this song fucking always screamed cringe to me, and I never like paid attention to the lyrics until like last night. I was listening to a podcast and they slow read the lyrics, and I was like, oh my god, this is about fucking statutory rape. Like it's about like American Beauty by Head P. I gotta yeah. listen to it. So that's I've only heard uh one Head P album, and it's the one that has Bartender on it. Um and that's actually I'm gonna say that I'm gonna just put this on on wax. That's actually not a bad album. It's like what if Limp Biscuit wasn't that bad? <laughs> like, like that album is like a lot of it is like hooking up with girls and doing cocaine. And like, yeah, I know that sounds very Montley Crew and everything. I hate, but at the same time, it's like the dude. The dude is like the dudes. The dude's like rapping is like pretty on point. <laughs> I'll give him that. Like, there's the song "Bartender" is like still like one that like if that shit comes on in a shuffle, I. I I'd head bang to that song. I don't know. After reading these lyrics to fucking American Beauty, I'm just like, oh my god, dude. Um, th- so that same Head PE album, the one that had Bartender on it, um, it when you put the CD in in the computer, like CDs used to do this shit where like they would have like some videos or whatever. It had the making of the album in it, 
And like, dude, it had some fucking like rated X shit in there where I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, hope my mom doesn't come in. Yeah, it was like, what? How did they allow this on a <laughs> on a CD? Like the parental advisory sticker. Yeah, I was like, this is this is intense. Um, yeah, they they do suck though. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't like be like, oh, you gotta check out Head P. They're incredible. Um, they're just one of those bands I was like super young, and I I I think I would be ashamed to listen to it now. But I was I was pretty young and like I. I th- not the whole album. I guess the, how you feel about the Significant Other, that's how I feel about this album, because mm. there's some songs on there. There's a song in there with Surge from System of a Down on that album. Oh, wow. Um, And and the girl from Kitty. Oh, shout out to Kitty. Kitty's Dude, another yeah, one of those bands to... that I would put in that thing. I would My put... first, first, first official girlfriend that I had, she was a huge Kitty fan, and that's how we bonded is over fucking metal music. Oh, yeah. I, I would put, uh, is it Brackish by Kitty? Yeah, yeah I would put Brackish and Spit by Kitty in that playlist of like bands you got to check out for like new metal. Oh, Orgy! Oh orgy. my god, dude, Orgy! Uh, Orgy's first album was pretty decent. Candy Ass. Candy Ass was pretty decent. I thought it was a pretty decent album, but their follow-up album, Vapor Transmission, incredible. Like it is one of the criminally underrated albums. If you want to write this down for if we want to do a music review album on that one, that is like. I'm just saying it. I think it's a beautiful album. I think it's 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 so good. It's one of the best like industrial metal albums out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but see, like it's hard for me to like think of them as a new metal band because they went th- very industrial. After yeah, that. I mean, like, but that was like that they, was the that was the flavor they were, though. They were always industrial, like even from Candy Ass. Like Candy Ass is all like robotic sounding and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Like they were always like stitches. They, they look like like New York Raver kids or something, <laughs> even though they're from like Taft. Yeah. Well, with that said, Art, do you got anything else? I know we could probably talk about this fucking for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sorry, long day. I didn't mean to ramble there. No, that's it. Just check it out. I would not listen to a new metal playlist if you have like Spotify or whatever, like because I checked out the new metal playlist and I was like, these bands suck. This is not what I remember. I know, like I don't consider Kid Rock or Alien Ant Form. I thought Alien Ant Form was. I would pop consider punk. Kid Rock new metal. Like that's another one of those fucking dudes that I was like, this is fucking disgusting, dude. Like. <laughs> This is gross. Yeah. Uh, what else did they put in there? I forgot. But like, it was just like, ugh. Yeah. Don't listen to the Apple fucking playlist or whatever, because that's not true. But anyways, with that said, go ahead and check out whatever art was you know putting together. You know, for your own. I highly recommend like anything that follows that says produced by Ross Robinson. Check that out. You probably won't be disappointed if you're a fan you, of heavy. You did music. put uh, the first Deftones album in a Ross Robinson one, but he didn't do that one. That was Terry Date. Oh really? Yeah, he didn't do that. Uh-huh. He he did like I think if you look at the album, there's one song on the the, the hidden track is called Fist on that album, mm-hmm. and he did produce Fist, but everything else is um oh is not him. That's all Terry Date. I stand corrected. Sorry man, sorry. I, I was I couldn't let the podcast end without being in there. Okay, so with <laughs> that said, guys, uh, check it all out. If you like it, hit us up on the social medias at Arn Jacob Do America, or if you hate it, hit us up there as well, so that way we can have a discussion about it. If you want to have a further discussion. Head on over to the Facebook group. Check us out over there. Check us out on the YouTube channel where I put all of these episodes available on YouTube. Uh, I spend many of hours on the MacBook Pro putting together like little pictures and shit to accentuate our points and whatnot. So don't let that hard work go to waste. Go to YouTube, comment, like, share. Whenever you see something that we are posting on there, whether it be Art or myself, share it so that way it gets us more publicity and you know spreads a good word because... 
those Facebook and Instagram algorithms are fucking killing us and shit. Like, I'll post something and it'll fucking get two views or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck? We got fucking 1,500 followers yeah, and shit. Like, that we got to figure out no a sense. way to, like, have more engagement on the Facebooks and Instagram. Yeah, so if you see something, share it. It's, it's, it's one of the most simplest things you can do, and it helps us tremendously. And if you want to help us in a different way, head on over to the Patreon, where every single week we put out a fire-ass Patreon-only episode. So you can donate a dollar, you can donate five dollars, you can donate whatever you want. You can be great and powerful, like fucking Alejandra and Nicole Smith-Bosch. I believe they're like in the $50 club or some shit like that. You, Crazy. Can, you can be doing the Lord's work like Jesus Gutierrez, who uh, contributes $10 a month. You can do all that, but... One dollar will get you the free bonus episode every single week, as well as uh, some Christmas presents that I am putting together for all our faithful uh, patrons out there. Uh, so check us out over there. Uh, check us out also on the Podbelly Network. So if you like our podcast, you want to see other great podcasts, such as my homeboy Eddie, who actually talks to a lot of these artists. Mm-hmm. He's had DJ Lethal. Yeah, I believe he's gonna have Monkey from Corn on eventually. I know it's it's in the pipeline somewhere. Uh, he's he's talked to pretty much everybody that we've talked about on this podcast on his episode. So check him out. Uh, check out Sofa King as well, where they put together a podcast episode about uh, punk rock, which kind of does like the similar thing that we just did today. So check them out. They're the Simpsons. They've already done yeah. every topic or whatever. So check them out. Um, if you want some of our merch, <laughs> like the back of the circus magazines, Head on over to artjacobdoamerica.com where Art has provided links to the Tee Public store. And I believe right now it's still Black Friday or Cyber Monday or Small Business Saturday or whatever the fuck they fucking have out right now. There's 35% off sale at Tee Public. So go on over there, support us. And like I said, that's not so much to support us monetarily, but just to help us get the good work, good word out about the Art Jacob Do America podcast. But with that said, guys, I am super hungry. My fucking blood sugar is low as fuck. I, your boy might be mm. diabetic, but Art, <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else, my guy? Uh, no, that's it. Tell your mommy boo too. Shall I do Jack? When shall I do Warren? Uh, please don't drink and drive. So with that said, everybody, goodbye. <laughs> click, click, boom. <laughs> Good night. But of course, things are a little different in 1999 than they were in 1969. In July 1999, nearly a half a million music fans descended on the small town of Rome in upstate New York to commemorate the 30th anniversary of Woodstock. Among the dozens of performers over the three-day festival were Rage Against the Machine, Corn, and Limp Biscuit. What are your memories of that show? And what do you think it did for this movement of heavy music? Well, they were really pushing this movement hard. It was like this breakout metal festival with a few other artists sprinkled in. I remember getting there and just going, oh my God, look at this place. This is Woodstock. What an honor. How amazing. I mean, it was definitely the highlight of rap metal music. For us too, it was crazy. I think it was the greatest show we ever played and are ever gonna play. It was just amazing to play in front of 400,000 plus people and them all get it and be right there with us and feel what we were doing. It was amazing to see people jump into music and because there's so many people seeing how the sound travels, seeing the waves as people jumping. It was just ridiculous. 
Woodstock 99 was unforgettable. That was a pretty big moment. That was, a, that was the biggest moment in our career because it was so intense. Never done anything like that before. Still haven't. We rocked that place that first night, and everybody had fun. The second night, the biscuit fucked it up for everybody. <laughs> it really did. You want the worst? Well, you got the worst. The one, the only, Lip Biscuit! I mean, it was wildfire. There were people everywhere. And when we finally went up to, to play, it was like middle middle of the day. And we had like the best slot to where the energy would be super high. So we just got up and we played our show. We walked on stage and it was that wave of people bouncing as far as you could see. Hundreds of thousands of people and it was the most amazing adrenaline pumping moment that I've ever experienced and I was so amped and ready to rock and we just did what we do But I guess things started to go bad during you know our song break stuff You know, it is what it is. It was just me doing my thing. Because during our performance, I saw people surfing on plywood. That's some tight shit right there. That crowd surfing on the plywood. I was like, that's fucking amazing. How cool is that? I'm going to go do it. So I jump down off the stage and I go out in the crowd and I'm telling them to bring the plywood over here. And they're, they're surfing it over and I get up on it. And I'm just start rocking on the plywood. You know, I'm, I'm partying with you guys. You know, I want to be out here in the crowd with you. This is amazing. I had no idea there was anything negative going on at all. You got job problems. You got a problem with me. You got a problem with yourself. It's time to take all that negative energy and put it the fuck out. I don't think they understood that I meant, okay, let's get rid of all that negativity so we can bring positive in. That means start j jumping, you know, jumping and singing. It doesn't mean start raping and, and burning the place down. That's definitely not what I meant. getting off the stage and having some policemen with my manager come around me. I say, Fred, I think you kind of incited a riot. They started ripping down buildings and the scaffolding and that's the plywood you were surfing on. That wasn't from walkways going to the restroom. They were tearing down things and there's people getting hurt. I go, I didn't see any of that. Everybody I saw was having an amazing time. Fred with his like, come on, let's break stuff. That song and doing that, it just sent it over the top and that's when all that stuff happened. There was people hurt. People got beat up, hit. All this craziness, he instigated the whole damn thing. I was right there watching it. It wasn't a fun Woodstock-type love fest. It really turned violent. It turned ugly. It was really a dark moment in music. And instead of stopping the show, Fred Durst stoked the flames. Three days of music, peace, and love ended with arson and rioting early today at Woodstock 99. Whatever the reasons, concertgoers began destroying property, starting fires, and rioting. Scattered bonfires raged out of control for several hours. Vending stalls were looted and light towers toppled. But was Woodstock 99's fiery end enough to shroud the event in regret? 
All I can say is that when we were on stage, our experience was it was the greatest concert of all time. And I had no idea that the finger would be pointed at me as a guy starting a riot. But I guess, you know, to this day, it's going to be something that Limp Biscuit fucked up. like this, that, and this, and It's like that, and like this, and like that, and It's like this, and who gives a fuck about those? So just chill to the next episode.